from RF Smart. This is Taking Inventory, a podcast all about better controlling your supply chain and improving inventory management. Now your host, Sarah Archer. Hello, and welcome back to Taking Inventory with RF Smart. I'm your host, Sarah Archer, and today I am joined by Seth King and Amy Pichardo, who are members of our team here at RF Smart, and we're going to be tackling the topic of manufacturing. This is part one of two, so make sure you are subscribed so you get notified when that part two gets released. But we're going to be talking through the four different strategies that you can apply to make your manufacturing more efficient, provide more visibility, and overall get the most out of your RFSmart and NetSuite investments. So I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Amy, I'll let you go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Hey, everybody. This is Amy Pichardo at RFSmart. I work over in the NetSuite section, specifically in the manufacturing area. Prior to that, I spent about 15, 16 years working as an operations manager in a manufacturing organization, so I come with a lot of experience. Well, we're glad to have you, Amy. Thanks for being here. And of course, Seth King is here. If you haven't listened to any of the rest of the podcast, Seth is a recurring guest, and we've actually talked manufacturing before, but we're going even deeper today, Seth, than we have in the past. Will you just introduce yourself for our listeners today? Yeah, it's good to be back. So Seth King, I'm our VP of our NetSuite team. I've been with our Smart for around seven years. Prior to my time here, I worked in the food and beverage industry. We were a process manufacturer at the time and was there for seven years. So Seth, that is a great segue because I heard you mention process manufacturing. There are many different types of manufacturing. And I think that one of the best things that we can do as we get into this pretty in-depth conversation is to level set. We're going to be using some terms, some different manufacturing isms that you may or may not be familiar with. You may not call it that. And so we're just going to do a little bit of vocab. So Amy, could you just go through what the different kinds of manufacturing are and what we mean when we say discrete process, those kinds of manufacturing? Sure. There are about four different areas of manufacturing that are kind of unique and each has its own kind of process and their own kind of behavior. So the first one would be repetitive. Repetitive, it's exactly as it sounds. So usually that's an organization that is creating the same kind of product over and over again, or at least similar kind of products over and over again. And that's usually like a machine-heavy operation. Another one is discrete. Discrete uses like a build of material, and they're building similar products, but it's not the exact same product. And usually discrete manufacturers can break down their products at the end of the day into individual components again. Job shop would be a third. Job shop is really unique. You're building one type of product for one kind of customer, and it usually doesn't cross over to another kind of customer. So it's very specialized. The last one is process manufacturing. And this is the process of building things that are recipe-based or formula-based and creating things in the pharmacy industry or in the food industry. I'm curious, Amy. So you talked about the different types of manufacturers, right? So when you look at our customer base or the NetSuite customer base and you look at those four categories, what would you say the most common customer is? I would say discrete is probably the most popular. Yeah, I would agree with you there for sure. So Seth, I want to talk about why we're talking about this because I personally have been on site with multiple different customers and I've seen them doing some things with manufacturing that I think that potentially they aren't aware of some of the offerings we have for manufacturing. Maybe they've always done it a certain way and their business has grown and now they really need to expand past what they're doing. What are some of the trends that we've seen with our customers that we're hoping to address in this podcast? 
Yeah, so that's a good question. So I often, I'll talk to business analysts who are implementing our customers. And sometimes we'll get the feedback from a customer that, man, this manufacturing process is limited. I need to be able to do X, right? An example could be my bill of material is not always stagnant, right? Maybe I have some spillage or maybe I need to over-issue material to a work order. Well, it turns out they don't own the whip and routing module in NetSuite. And they own just work orders and assemblies. So in that case, you're dealing with more of a fixed bill of material. And then you're editing that bill of material in a one-off every single time versus a customer that may need to over-issue a component. It's probably a candidate to move it whip and routing. So that's a good example of just not understanding how far NetSuite scales in manufacturing overall. Another common example I see is customers, they may have some contract manufacturing they do where they build part of the product, they then send it off-site to another location. It could be like a gas treating for some health product. It could be sanding or painting. They, they outsource to a painting shop. Well, you'll see them just set up a bin called painting, and they end up doing a bin transfer to send that inventory to an offsite shop. When realistically, they should probably be setting up an operation. That operation would be called painting. Because in the case of a really long manufacturing process, you're trying to eliminate this black hole of where's my product at any given time. And you want to be able to look that back all the way back to the work order level. So by moving to routing steps versus a straight work order assembly, you'll be able to have that visibility into where things are in the manufacturing process. Thanks for sharing that, Seth. So let's talk about the four levels of manufacturing. We're going to do part one and two today. So our number one is item groups and kit package items. So I feel like these concepts can be a little bit confusing because what we think about as kits aren't always necessarily kits. And same thing for item groups. So Amy, can you help us understand, maybe give an example of what a kit could look like? So kits are NetSuite inherent, right? You can build kits in NetSuite and you can add items to it and sell it as a specific group. They're great because they have their own pricing level. They have their own SKU, their own description. And because they have their own pricing level, you can float that price up and down as you wish, depending on your supply and demand. So there's a couple of customers I can think of. And uh, we have quite a few customers actually in the education space. So kits are common when you sell one of those components individually, but you also sell those components as a collective group. So you could think of our customer in that education space. You may be saying, I need all of the first grade material for my class. That's going to have math workbooks, science workbooks. Well, it may be that next year that science workbooks upgrades to a new version, right? So in that case, they're going to change that component out for the new one. Or it may be that product gets damaged and they call back and say, I don't need all the workbooks. I just need five more science workbooks. So they may sell those components individually. But to Amy's point, if you buy them collectively, you're generally getting some discounted rate on that. And that really is one of the bigger differences in item groups and kits. They're both a collection of items, but the kit allows you to set the value at the top level. And the item group is just a sum of the individual components. So if there were four books at five bucks each, an item group would cost 20 bucks in NetSuite. A kit, you could say, we sell it for 15 bucks and you could change that value. So the benefit of using a group sometimes is it's just a grouping of items. When you add that to an order, you can change those contents on the fly. You can decide that you want to take some out, adjust the quantity of other items as well. And you can partially fulfill an item group, cannot partially fulfill a kit. So those are important things to remember as you're determining which one of these are right. So you've got the costing perspective, you have the flexibility on 
quantity? And then is this something I need to partially fulfill? And I've seen some implementations where customers use kits or units of measure. So they set up a bunch of kits for one item, but every kit is actually just a different quantity, like a case pack and inner, where that customer really should be using unit of measure conversion and tables inside of native NetSuite. So I have a question. I've often seen customers, Amy, that are, they have collateral or additional pamphlets, or I've even seen things like it's an activation code or something that has to go with a product. I believe they normally set up non-inventory items for those type of items, but is that another example of an item group? Like I'm selling this PC and I need to make sure that these pamphlets and it goes with a key, like whatever those items are, it could be marketing collateral sheets that also get picked. Absolutely. That's a great way to use item groups. I've often seen where groups are selling software along with hardware, and they include those items as well in an item group. What is the R of Smart strategy that we recommend for people who are putting together kits or item groups? I think this goes back to what Amy was talking about earlier, which is what type of manufacturer are you? So it's really going to depend on your sales channels. Are you selling online? Are you wholesale? Are you special order? Because there's this concept of build to order, build to stock, and kits are somewhat of a version of build to order. Now, they might not be job shop where you're saying, I want to monogram this particular piece, but it may be that, hey, I sell a version of an item and it comes in different colors and in different sizes and it's got different pieces. So it comes with a pillow, it comes with a pillow cover, it comes with a frame or a bed. It may be that that kit has different versions, right? So I could sell those pillow covers individually. Now, the thing is, when you're selling that, there's an unlimited combination of those variables. So you would never create assembled items or build those and stock them. So in this case, it's really like a build to order, but you're just picking your components or your bill of material as you're picking your sales order. So that's the easiest way to think about it is your bill of material gets blown out as part of your sales order pick versus tied to a work order where you're then going to build it and then it turns into one of those assembled items or finished goods that Amy was talking about earlier. It really sounds like the base smart picking product is what's going to be able to help you here. What I would point out is there may be people listening today who are building kits and they aren't doing them with some kind of mobile technology. So they're just going out and picking things and then hoping that they get to the right order and everything goes out in a certain way. It makes a lot of sense to go ahead and set up your kits. And as Amy said, you can do that in NetSuite. Go ahead and have those set up. So then it's a lot more organized. There's a little bit more accountability there. And it's certainly a great process. Seth, is there other things we want to mention around picking and being able to use that for kits and item groups? Yeah, I think you need to be cognizant of how do those kits ultimately go out the door and it's going to depend on the customer and the type of item. But you may need to have a solution at the back end of your fulfillment process with shipping that can provide you with notes like, hey, you pick this kit while it is individual components, they need to get boxed together when they go out. We don't want to package those components individually because it may be the type of item it is needs to present and the customer wants to open up all components together into one box. So that's certainly something you want to consider. You do want to make sure you still know what that parent kit item is when you're picking. So if it's a gift basket, you, your picker probably wants to know I'm picking a gift basket, but they also need to have those individual components broken out because they're going to be in different spots of the warehouse, different bin locations, different aisles, different rows. So I think we do something really interesting and good in our handheld where we show kits and the components for those kits. And it's very clear that they are directly connected and that you have to pick them all together at the same time in the right quantity. A couple of things I'll call out here is 
using RFSmart to pick, which I know some of you listening are receiving with RFSmart, counting with RFSmart, maybe not picking with RFSmart. This is something that you should absolutely be doing, especially if you're doing these kinds of kits, because it will prevent the partial pick. It is going to make sure your full order gets out the door. Yeah, because if you don't use a mobile solution and you get all of those components to your shipping station, and now you're creating a fulfillment in NetSuite straight from pinning fulfillment to shipped, and you're missing just one component, it's going to prevent that entire kit line from being able to ship out because you cannot partially fulfill that kit. So guys, let's tackle manufacturing level two, which is work orders and assemblies. Amy, what is the difference between kits and assemblies? That could be a little bit confusing for people. So kits are just a list of individual items that are already in a finished good state. Assembly builds are a list of items made up of components that have to be put together and built in the system in order to make it a finished good. So Seth, what's an example of a customer of ours that's using assembly builds? Yeah, there's a lot of our customers that use assembly builds. Amy and I were just at a customer in Atlanta probably two or three weeks ago. They were using assembly builds and they were like these rubber gaskets is the easiest way to think about it. So for pipes and there's a rubber mold part of that. And then there's like the O-ring piece and then there's the clamp that goes on that. They got to grab the rubber mold. They got to grab the clamp. They got to grab two or three components that ultimately go together to build this final fitting pipes. And the difference is they likely sell enough of those individual sizes that they're not going to do these in kits, right? Because a four inch diameter pipe's always going to need a four inch clamp. It's not like there's a bunch of variables. So in this case, they're a build to stock type situation. So they're likely looking at order demand. Hey, what are our sales on the four inch pipes? Great. Let's build 50 more of those. So they're grabbing all of the components, doing the builds, and then they actually put on the shelf that final four-inch pipe fitting at the end of the day. Seth, can you talk about backflushing? What does that mean? There are facilities that may build really small sub-assemblies as part of a work order. And it could just be, I'm at a workbench and everything I need sits right in front of me. It is within arm's reach. So now me, the manufacturer, I'm also the inventory puller. Well, it's not going to be very efficient to say, I want to pick components, stage them, build them. I just want to say, yeah, I built one. So when I build one, it just deducts all that inventory or backflushes the inventory from that location or bin or whatever it is I'm working in inside of NetSuite. So that's a good example of a backflush type situation. What is the simple way to build an assembly? Well, if you're building assembly and you're not using a work order, then we have a process within our RF Smart function that just allows you to do that. It's simply just pulling up the function. You scan an item and say, I want to build five of these. And if you're using our assembly build function, all we do in the background is say, we're going to create five, we're going to put that in our finished good location, and we're going to backflush or consume the parts and pieces that were required to make that item. There are limitations though, just like kits have limitations. Tell me more. So imagine that your components that are part of your build material have inventory details, like lots or serials. So I'm at that same workbench and I have 50 cereals in front of me. I can't just do a build because it's going to want to know what's the cereal of that individual component. So that would be an example where you don't want to backflush. You actually want to do a pick, which is actually associating that inventory detail. It could be a lot number for process or food manufacturers. It could be a serial number for an electronic manufacturer at that point. But 
that does lead to something else, which is you can still backflush lot information as well. So let me ask you this. It sounds like there are really good opportunities to use assemblies. It sounds like there may be opportunities where assemblies is not your best bet. Can you guys just fire off a few times where it is not right to use assemblies? So a good example of not using just a basic flat bomb assembly is when you have a product that you're building that takes a long time to build. When you're doing that, you're going to want visibility into where all of your components are. What are my bottlenecks within my process? And there are tools that we have that show that. So here's an example. I'm building a transformer and it takes me eight weeks to build this transformer. When you say transformer, do you mean the robot or like the electrical equipment? I'm going to leave that up to our listeners to decide. Okay. Either way, I think it would take several weeks. It would. But let's say that you're the purchaser for this company, Sarah, and you purchase all these components and materials for these transformers. Well, let's say I'm using a flat assembly built for this transformer and it takes two months. I pick all of this material. I stage it. When you check inside of NetSuite inventory, guess what? That just looks like inventory that's available. You get more orders from customers and you're saying, yeah, we have enough material to build this. Lo and behold, all that inventory is already allocated and dedicated to this particular work order. So now your inventory visibility starts to get thrown off. And this is where this black hole of manufacturing comes because you don't know, do I have enough inventory? Is this already allocated to a particular work order? Because at this point, nothing's been consumed. You haven't backflush consumed it. You haven't issued it to a work order. It's just sitting in another bin location. Well, you know what that makes me think of is we do have some customers that while they do sell the fully finished good, they may sell that subassembly as a part of something on their website. If you think about a bicycle and there's all these different pieces, right? They may sell replacement handlebars and you've already allocated those replacement handlebars to this order. But somebody online, if you haven't marked that these are committed, somebody online orders those handlebars and now potentially you're looking at some customer service issues. So that's why this kind of visibility and granular detail into your manufacturing process is so important because it's not just the people in the warehouse going to grab different pieces. It's also your customers who end up ultimately with these products. Yeah. The other piece is how do you identify where your bottlenecks may be in your manufacturing process? If it's a black hole from components grabbed to build, and that takes eight weeks, you don't know where things are slowing down. Now you may have sub-assemblies in between. So certainly there are ways to leverage sub-assemblies to build the individual components. And that would give you some visibility of, yeah, I know we're not at the final transformer yet, but we've got these five sub-assemblies built. So what would you guys say the RF Smart solution is to help people have more visibility into this assembly process? So we have handheld device functions that allow you to go out on the floor, pick your inventory using the handheld device. It sorts it for you and the best way for you to pick it, it tells you where it needs to go in the end. And then we also have the ability for you to use the handheld to build that inventory on the floor instead of you having to write everything down on paper, run back to maybe the clerk's office and have them process those for you. The other variable to think about is in a lot of these manufacturing processes, your bill of material may call for you need five of this item. It might be stacked in a 22 a case, or it could be a liquid. It could be you need five gallons and it's in a 50 gallon drum. If I'm the inventory puller, I can't just go grab five gallons out. I could in a weigh room, but what we give you the ability to do is 
overstage that material as well. So I could then move that full 50 gallon drum. My bill of material says, hey, you need five. I'm the inventory stager. I could grab all 50 and then stage that material. And then that's where once the build takes place, whether it's a issue or a back flush, we would consume those five. And then RF Smart would then give you the ability to bin transfer that remaining 45 gallons of material back into your inventory stocking location. Or you could leave it there for your next subsequent work orders. So another nice feature that we have is the ability to print item labels when you're in that function. So if you're sitting at your bench and you've just finished five and you're ready to go put that in the stock room, you can just print those labels on the fly and out they go. We will stop our conversation here. Thanks so much for joining us today, Seth and Amy. We're excited to have you back for the next episode. Uh, we'll be covering weapon routing and then we'll also be covering work order reporting. Super important topics, so stay tuned. For those of you listening, make sure that you are subscribed so you do not miss part two of this great podcast series. You can subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts like Spotify, Google, Apple Podcast, um, and also on our website at rfsmart.com slash podcast. We actually have an email subscription there. Type in your email. You will get a notification from us to your email when we drop a new episode. Thanks again to Seth and Amy. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. 